Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Cult Popcha podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch or get two extra exclusive podcasts a month, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash Welcome everybody to the Cult Popshire Podcast. Today we have something extraordinarily special to share. The with specialist you. thing we've ever done. Yeah, we feel very good about this. So we managed, if you haven't read the title of the episode or don't know what it means, we managed to score an interview that you're about to hear with an MVP of the podcast. Someone, MVP of FFF. Yeah, someone who has been um involved in a lot of stuff with we've either covered covered in film franchise fortnights or a lot of stuff that has affected our personal interests in film um so today we are interviewing writer director chris whites and now, you may recognize that name yeah, from. Where, do, where do i know that name where, AJ? Do you, where do you know that name so this guy um has had an extraordinarily varied career in terms of the podcast he has directed with his brother paul Wrights the film Whites. um paul, paul whites <laughs> Did I not say that? You said Paul Rhodes. Paul Whites. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Um, he directed with Paul American Pie, which is a one of our essentials, I think. Mm. One of our essential must-listen-to episodes of the podcast. Um, but, you know, I'm a big fan of American Pie, AJ, but mm. I'd like to go back even further. Mm. And um, one of my favorite episodes of the podcast yeah. is uh, The Twilight Saga. Did he have anything to do with that? Well, I'm glad you asked because he actually solo-directed Twilight Saga New Moon, the second film in the franchise. You have got to be kidding me. I know. Okay, okay, AJ. (laughs) This guy seems pretty cool, but I'm not just a big fan of uh, film franchise Fortnite's. I like to listen to the off-week podcasts as well. Mm. And one of my favorite is talking about the state of Star Wars. Mm. Now- there's no way that the guy behind American Pie could have somehow been involved in Star Wars, right? Well, he's actually one of the four credited writers for Star Wars Rogue One. What? I know. And if you thought it was shocking that the same guy who wrote, uh, well, was one of the writers for Rogue One, directed American Pie and New Moon, well, he also wrote Nutty Professor 2 <laughs> <laughs> with, with his brother, um, a few of his other projects. No, AJ, so I've got to stop you there. Yep. This is too much for me to handle. Yeah. Um, but I also love um, those little cult popcorn videos you yeah. did a wee while ago. And there was one that really spoke to me. Yeah. It was about the film About a Boy. Mm. Um, and he also <laughs> uh, wrote and directed About a Boy with Paul Weitz um, and who else was writing it with them? Well, uh, Peter golly. Hedges as well. So this guy has had an extremely varied career he's done a lot of stuff and we couldn't believe that the same guy was the, the, yeah. the name behind all of these projects a few other things i'll rattle off he wrote ants with paul whites and todd alcott he also uh wrote the golden compass cinderella the 2015 remake he wrote the mountain between us with jm J. mills good good low is that what that says um <laughs> and he also 
directed with Paul the film Down to Earth, and he solo directed The Golden Compass, A Better Life, and Operation Finale. All and very different projects. Yeah, Operation Finale available on Netflix now. That's true. So we just wanted to know, what the hell, man? How are you the same voice behind all these extremely different projects? Yeah, and speaking of voices, mm-hmm. let's get ours out of here. Well, and then we'll yeah, have we'll them in a second again. talking to Chris, but yeah. um, this, pre- this pre-recorded segment is over. Here's the interview. <laughs> All right, so we are here with Chris White. How are you, Chris? Uh, I'm great, thank you. Uh, I'm surprisingly not hungover, given that I had uh, four martinis last night. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Cool, cool. I'm in a similar situation. I'm a couple nights on, actually. I, I, I drank too much whiskey and um, had to be, sleep the day away to make sure I didn't get sick or anything. So. Oh, yeah. Well, you guys look look younger <laughs> in spite of your, your profuse beard growth um but it totally gets worse i'm warning you mm, okay well thank you this is the first nugget of beautiful advice and information we've got that's very positive yeah yeah um cool cool so chris i think one of the first things i wanted to ask you and i think when someone finds out about the, the fact that you're the guy behind all these different things i think the mm. first thing that people think when they know about your career is like all your projects, not all your projects, but a lot of your projects are like crazily different from each other because like yeah. it's common for writers or directors to stick to like a theme or a target audience or a genre, but your work is a lot more diverse. So what's the biggest difference between working on something like Rogue One, a Star Wars story and working on Nutty Professor 2? Uh, the degree of success of the movie. <laughs> 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 how happy I am to be doing it. Interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, no, uh, when, when we were working on uh, on Nutty Professor 2, I think we sort of got it. This is my brother and I I'm talking about. We, we, mm-hmm. we sort of did it to get out of a contract. But yeah, I mean, there, there's, um, uh, in a way, it's all the same, right? You try to make it about people, even if they're uh, uh, right. robots uh, and even if they are nutty professors. <laughs> but, um, I, I think you, you might be able to characterize uh, my career as doing the first movie that I was able to direct, uh, American Pie, and then desperately trying to avoid the implications of having directed a teen sex comedy. So that you end up... Uh, <laughs> You end up directing a movie about uh, a Nazi being hunted down by the Israeli Mossad, and you wonder how it was that you got there. Um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's it's much much probably much smarter to build a brand by doing things in a similar wheelhouse all the time. Um, and I think that a lot of the the, the really famous directors you think of uh, and screenwriters have done that. Um, but uh, it, to me, it's always been that it's really hard to make movies, even bad movies you try to make a good movie every time mm-hmm. uh, and after one or two years of working on something i sort of never want to see anything like it again <laughs> yeah. um so i just sort of want to want to move on to to something different mm. also i mean you know I'm, I'm 49 years old now it would be really uh uh revolting for me to be um making movies about teens losing their virginity <laughs> um <laughs> Not, not to mention that now when I look back on, on American Pie, I mean, uh, when I think about the, the sequence in, in which uh, all the kids are, are watching uh, the uh, exchange student get get undressed over, over the web, I mean, at the time, it seemed pretty uh, fanciful 
and kind of funny. And now it actually just seems creepy. So I, I don't think you'd be able to make those movies anymore. Mm. Well, because that's uh, we did a whole episode on the entire eight film American Pie saga, and that was a Jesus big through Christ. line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a big uh, through line through that episode was because we did it right after doing the Hangover trilogy and right before doing mm. Revenge of the Nerds. So, on right. the scale of how creepy things are nowadays, I would say American Pie's <laughs> a little bit more forgiven compared to something like Revenge of the Nerds, which has um, uh, Revenge of the sexual Nerds assault. Is, and- um- is, is criminal. Yeah, it is yeah. sexual yeah, assault, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Uh, so uh, I think we're heading in probably in the right direction. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> away from uh, dressing up as Darth Vader in order to have sex with uh, your mm. enemy's girlfriend. We are moving away from that. <laughs> thank God. Yeah, as a society, uh, thank you, thankfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Back to back to like the, the the varied nature of your work. If there are any common traits of a Chris White's film, what are those common traits? <clears throat> uh, well, let me see. I think that uh, the importance of uh, secondary characters, right? I, right. Uh, so, in, in some ways, the the movies that my brother and I started making, and the movies that uh, we, we we keep making individually, are inspired by old Hollywood films. Uh, And if you look at old 1930s and 40s uh, Hollywood comedies, uh, all of the character actors and and secondary characters have things to say. So it's not always just about the the hero. Um, We we like sort of riffing on secondary characters. And in in that regard, too, uh, I think what we're mainly concerned with is is people talking to one another, no matter how many other bells and whistles uh, there are. It's it's really about. Uh, the emotional relations between people. And that may not be a very funny thing to say, but it is true. <laughs> um, no, it's, I totally see it. Like, now that you've said it, I'm looking at, the like, your filmography and, like, you've got obvious things like um, like American Pie and, and Nutty Professor are full to the brim of, like, wacky and, and interesting um, secondary characters. But even something like Rogue mm. One is a movie of secondary characters, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's an ensemble yeah, cast, I, so that actually makes sense. Yeah. I think... Um, you know, I, I I think one of the characters I, I love most that I've worked on is um, is uh, Donnie Yen's character in um, in Rogue One totally. uh, <laughs> because he 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 doesn't you know he he, he like all of those characters he dies pretty quickly you don't get to see very much of him but yeah. he has some things to say that are, are relevant I mean I think too many uh, movies are are about the hero's uh, story alone and uh, you know until recently it's always been some white dude. Uh, so mm-hmm. it is uh, fun to write stuff for uh, other other kinds of people. Cool, cool. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you touched on there um, about working with your brother, and so you've done a lot of work uh, collaboratively, like working with your brother and the writing on Rogue One and, and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So how does that how does that sort of work? Do you have a preference um, working alone or working in a group? And um, and how are they different from each other? Uh, well, I'd much rather work in a group, uh, especially if they're t- like doing most <laughs> of the work. But I find that, I mean, one of the great things about comedy is that it's often written in, in groups. Um, and uh, that that's kind of uh, natural because uh, humor uh, exists, doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum. Mm. Um, mm. And I find that uh, a really lovely experience. Unfortunately, nowadays, most of my work is alone and I find it uh, very lonely um, to the point of um, going slightly insane. Uh, yeah. uh, so I, I think that the, the difference is that that writing uh, writing in a group, especially writing a comedy, is kind of a social experience. 
Um, and writing alone is kind of a psychological uh, uh, experience. Um, usually these days involving me trying to keep myself from procrastinating, which, which I'm very, very good at. Um, so I, I miss the days when it was my brother uh, and me uh, <laughs> working together. Uh, all day and sometimes we'll just uh, get together and kind of sit in the same room working just to get a bit of a taste of what it was yeah. like <laughs> to, to not not be alone mm. cool cool um so one of the things i think because one of the reasons we wanted to interview you is because so our podcast mainly focuses on comprehensive rundowns of every fran- film franchise known to man um and cool. your name has has come up a lot in the, <laughs> in the franchises that we've covered uh and probably as we said before as we we're talking about before probably the, the most influential one of those for us anyway was uh the american pie series now mm. You you only directed, or you and Paul uh, directed the first film, but you are credited right. as executive producer on the theatrical sequels. Um, yes. And this is a question I think a lot of people who are peripheral to film want to ask, and that is, what does an executive producer do? The answer is not much in my case. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, we, we were executive producers on... Um, on American Pie 2 when we were shooting about a boy. Um, so mm-hmm. we didn't have much time to uh, address that. So executive producer is an incredibly flexible term. Mm. Uh, yeah. that's what, And it's a bit hard to explain to people who are not in the film industry. It could mean that you're doing an incredible amount of work, but you don't have enough clout to insist that you're a producer. And so you right. settle grudgingly for executive producer, or it could right. be that you're doing practically nothing. And out of the kindness of their hearts, uh, the studio uh, it throws you that bone, which is us wow. on uh, American Pie 2. And the reason I think that happened was that American Pie had been such a surprise uh, hit for the studio that everyone was just kind of drunk on money hmm. um and they they were very generous uh uh in in giving us that credit uh, afterwards um i think um i mean i would like to think that we had some helpful things to say uh, along the process but our contribution after the first movie frankly was was pretty small um for instance hmm. uh I have not seen all of the eight films you were talking about. I assume you're also <laughs> talking about straight straight to video. Uh, yeah, the, uh, oh, yes. the American Pie Presents series. Um, right. Yeah. So you haven't seen them. <laughs> I haven't. I, I think does one of them involve running around naked and yeah, uh, the naked mile. Yeah, that's the naked mile. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> mm. Uh, I, and I think that was was uh, Eugene Levy involved in, in all those. Yep. Yeah, he is in all of them. I'm yep. so glad. He's such a lovely guy. I hope that he was paid well for those. Uh, <laughs> That's such a satisfying thing to know, that he's a lovely guy. Oh, he's fantastic. He's great. <laughs> he was he was like of all the people I, I've, I've met he was my biggest kind of um star sighting and i felt That's most, awesome. most tongue-tied meeting him because my brother and i had watched uh second city television uh mm. growing up i don't know if you guys are familiar with that it's probably um, before yeah. our time <laughs> he's like a, he was a comedy hero uh and my brother and i used to sneak out late uh, to, to the tv late at night when we were kids to watch him Nice. So were you nice. guys involved with getting him into American Pie then? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, <clears throat> it was a very small movie and we didn't uh, have much of a notion of uh, 
like star casting or stunt casting. But I think the whole movie started to work once we uh, cast Eugene. And to, to be honest, the kind of dynamic between him and his son, uh, between him and Jason Biggs, was really uh, due to him. Um, you know, before he came along, it was much more of a kind of uh, hale and hearty middle American kind of bro dad. Um, and hmm. Eugene took it to, uh, to, to become like this really lovely uh, version of a deeply yeah, embarrassing yeah. but loving father. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's such yeah. a cool little tidbit to know because, mm. yeah, I could, I could, I can totally see that, that like Eugene Levy bringing his own to the to the character that's really really yeah cool. and i definitely think that a, a lot of eugene levy it's because of eugene levy that that felt those films had such a staying power and the fact that they're able to keep churning out sequels is because he kept agreeing to do them i mean <laughs> absolutely he's the secret yeah. weapon of the whole thing hmm. yeah that and uh, male porn voice from the first one uh that is my greatest role uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yes male porn voice uh uh, yeah, that, those are things that you do that you don't realize later are going to be on IMDb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, man. So you just, like started this franchise, and then how does it feel to to see? Because I mean, you haven't seen all of the directed DVD sequels. How does it feel to see something that you kind of birthed be sort of dragged through the mud, so to speak? <laughs> well, I. Again, I can't comment on the later uh, episodes <laughs> in the saga, um, <laughs> but uh, and, and also I want to give proper credit to Adam Hers, who is really the guy who who gave birth mm, to it. Right. I think uh, yep. uh, my brother and I were like the obstetricians uh, or the gynecologists um, <laughs> to that birth. Uh, I, I think um, I still remain uh, extremely uh, fond of. Uh, uh, of American Pie and attached to it, um, mm. and it is amazing how much uh, uh, affection there is out there. When I meet people of a, of a certain age, you know, I, I instantly try to calculate whether they were uh, of age to get into an R movie when they say they <laughs> yeah. saw it. Um, and occasionally, I'll apologize uh, to people and to their parents <laughs> now, now elderly parents. Um, but I feel, uh, I, I feel incredibly lucky as I do about so many things that happened early on in, in my career that, that I was able to, to do it. Um, you know, the funny thing was it, it mm. sort of, it wasn't me at all, right? I didn't go to, uh, American high school. I went to, to, uh, sixth form in, in London. Um, mm. so I, and I, 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 mm. I never had a, uh, a, a prom or anything like that. Uh, so, uh, I, I, obviously the things that are universal about, uh, the, the uh, the movie but uh it wasn't a world that i really knew and i wasn't even a fan of um teen sex comedies like i hadn't seen that many um but i still now feel deeply deeply attached to it well totally because we talked about this when we discussed it um on our show that like american pie is what you're describing when you're describing the genre of teen sex comedy That's so like funny. Yeah, mm. you you say you say like that you um you uh, didn't you know you didn't have the same experiences, but everybody's wanted to lose their virginity in high school, right? And that's integral to what that movie is and what that genre is. So yeah, I totally see why why it means so much to people. It's strange how also that you know that that movie, which is so smutty, really now seems kind of innocent. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> in a strange way. Yeah, because yeah, it's it's like a weird mix between being tame compared to what we have now and also being like 
oh, I can't believe they got away with that at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, part of that was because we um, we were the little movie that could, right? There was when we were um, making American Pie, we were making it. You know, it was a ten million dollar budget, which is a lot of money, of course, but it's very little for a studio. Uh, mm. And they were making what they thought were going to be their big movies, which was Meet Joe Black. Um, and and Babe Pig in the City, and for various reasons, both of those movies didn't do well. But while we were making it, that those movies were the concern of the studio. They they didn't really pay much attention to us. So every day we were getting away with things or, or doing things <laughs> without uh, being sort of noted yeah. to death by the studio. Um, and uh, so I, to to this day, I think the best situation you can be in if you're making a Hollywood movie is to be is to have a big movie that is not yours uh, in some kind of ropey shape um, at the same time, right? You, you want all the attention to be elsewhere yeah. if possible. Yeah, so there's American Pie and The Lion King, the two greatest movies of all time, were both uh, made because the studio was focusing on other projects at the time. Oh, what was the li- what was the Lion King's? D- Disney were focused on Pocahontas while the Lion King was being made, oh, and so wow. that's why the Lion King's so good, basically, because it didn't have the same restrictions and stuff on it. Oh, mm. that's fantastic! That's good. That's that's mm. interesting. That's because um, talking about um, films that are like close to uh, people's hearts, and obviously AJ and I grew up in a kind of time where American Pie was the go-to like sleepover film. If you're having like your mates over, yeah. and one of them has a cool mum, and will let you like <laughs> get that out. Um, yeah. But a film that that's always um, that I've always enjoyed that I only that I was excited to find out that you were involved in is um, Down to Earth, hmm. the Chris yeah. Rock film. So, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah like I, I don't really have a specific question i just like what was do you have any fun thank experiences you for down to earth yeah thank you and <laughs> did you have any like what, what was it like making that film we had a great time making it um you know it, it was so it we were it was making a comedy after american pie of course but it was also mm. because it was a largely african-american cast was it just a different uh setup um for, for us um so it was really cool i mean i really we had a great time working with Chris, of course, and he's a fascinating guy. He's incredibly sort of smart and interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So just to get to hang out with him was was a pleasure. Um, but um, also the guys he was working with, including like Ali Leroy and Nelson George and Louis C.K., although he's fallen into disrepute now. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, uh, they were uh, re- really great to hang out with. Um, and we shot at the Apollo, uh, which uh, doesn't mean much to a lot of people, but in New York, it's a sort of legendary institution. Um, and cool. it was it was super super cool to work on. And of course, you got to work with Eugene again. And it yeah, yeah. A, uh, I was say. Getting the band back together, uh, <laughs> sort of feeling. But it's definitely the the movie that uh, people forget uh, we we did, and I, I think we, we we kind of occasionally forget it too, um, <laughs> because the I think in part because uh, about a boy sort of was so. Uh, so well regarded by people. As a matter of fact, to this day, you know, I'll meet somebody and they ask, like, oh, what did you do? You know, what, what have you worked on? And I say, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, God, that was a great movie. Mm. And what I always take from that is the implication, why don't you make anything as good as that anymore? <laughs> so it's, like, I, it's now 18 years ago, and I, I seem not to be able to move past that one. Mm. Yeah, well, see, for me, it's like, why can't you make something as good as Down to Earth? <laughs> <laughs> so even longer uh, since I've made something worthwhile. Mm. 
Mm. <laughs> um, hey, I I absolutely adore about a boy, and we'll get to talking about that in just a second. Mm. Um, just in, in the interest of going in the order of our questions, so we sure. don't forget about them. Um, <laughs> so what I think is cool is that another, as I said, you your name popped up a lot in the the uh, history and the legacy of our podcast, um, mm. because another franchise that we did a comprehensive deep dive into was, of course, the Twilight films, and you, sir, mm. are the director of. Twilight, the Twilight Saga, New Moon. So yeah, the second it's a, film, it's a saga, yeah. much like the the Nordic uh, sagas of old. <laughs> exactly. Um, and what I think is interesting about that is that Twilight's the American Pie of the next generation, essentially. <laughs> so the, the the question I want to ask you, uh, Chris, is how does it feel to be partly responsible for the sexual awakening of an entire generation of teenage boys <laughs> with American Pie, and then subsequently be partly responsible for the sexual awakening of an entire generation of teenage girls <laughs> with Twilight and New Moon? Because New Moon's the one where uh, Jacob takes his shirt off and gives it to Bella yes. as she's fallen off the motorbike and you see his, <laughs> yeah. his gorgeous rippling abs. So I know plenty of girls in my high school who saw that movie a lot of, a lot of times just for that, that moment there. <laughs> he, he does have amazing abs, doesn't he? I'm trying to remember. I think that was in the books, right? So, so I can't claim to have come up with a genius idea of having him take off his shirt. Uh, um, but I did frame those shots very carefully. Uh, there you go, yeah. Uh, well, I, I can't, uh, re- I mean, I, I, I certainly don't think about it as, uh, instrumental to the sexual awakening of, uh, of teenage girls, um, because that would be <laughs> t- too strange. Uh, I mean, I suppose, I, I, I guess I think like I was very lucky to be, um, associated with these franchises, uh, not just from the point of view of feeding my children. Uh, but just <laughs> to have uh, experienced that kind of uh, enthusiasm. I mean, it's it's weird when you're making a, a movie because uh, you're with a bunch of people, uh, the crew, and you grow to love them and have a great time with them, hopefully. And and then, but then when the movie comes out, uh, you, it, it, it sort of plays without you. It's not like being in a play where you get to see the audience's reactions all the time. And for the most part, yeah. it's as though nothing is is actually happening in front of you. But but if you're fortunate enough to work on a franchise with this kind of enthusiasm uh you uh you can really experience a, a human connection i mean it's, it's much it's it, when you're watching a comedy you've made you get the kind of instant gratification of people laughing um uh uh i mean certainly people laughed at new moon but i don't think intentionally <laughs> uh the, um so uh to to have kind of um uh, to, to have experienced the kind of insane enthusiasm that um, that people brought to to Twilight was so amazing. Like I remember going on a press tour for New Moon, and we went to the Olympic Stadium in Munich, which was filled with twenty thousand screaming uh, teenagers, um, uh, in order to answer two or three questions, perhaps ten minutes worth of time. <laughs> Uh, from from the audience, um, and it was really like just for a moment getting a slice of kind of Beatle mania, uh, wow. and, and that's very very exciting. So as you know, as inclined as I am sometimes to to sort of be a bit skeptical or snarky about um, about Twilight, actually I'm really uh, touched by what it what it meant to people, and um, totally. 
and and those kids are cool you know i that, that was part of the reason that i did it was i really like the actors and um you know abs and all uh and uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I i still uh i still uh you know remain kind of uh, attached uh to them uh for, from that experience yeah and they've had um pretty great careers i mean taylor yeah. lautner's kind of biggest thing has been the zero percent on rotten tomatoes ridiculous six but you know, mm. Robert Pattinson and Chris and Chris um, Stewart have done pretty well for themselves. Mm. Uh, they have. I mean, it was a bit of a, a golden cage, uh, I, I think. I mean, of course, uh, anyone should be so lucky as to be cast in this kind of uh, incredibly popular uh, franchise. But I think that when when they started, they didn't quite know what they were getting themselves into and the degree to which their lives would be under yeah. the microscope um so I, I think that it's cool that they found various ways to um to do interesting stuff yeah because totally. yeah. you see interviews with them from like post or like during the later years of twilight when they're, they're both very over it and and, mm. and don't really want to be associated with it was there any of that kind of like animosity on set towards the material or that they were perfectly professional they're really professional. I mean, I think I, I don't, I'm not even sure if animosity would be the word for it. I think there's this weird sense of being both uh, 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 grateful uh, and also stuck. Um, yeah, you know, because right. I think they probably felt that uh, they they had they hadn't realized or they hadn't really thought through four movies in which they would be uh, carrying these uh, franchises, and also I, I mean, I think it wasn't even the movies necessarily so much as, as the fans. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously the, the kind of um, paradoxical situation of being really psyched that people like it and like them, but, um, but at the same time, not having uh, enough of them to go around for millions hmm. and millions of, of people. Uh, and yeah. then, you know, it's very, I think I, I've never had this problem, which is good uh, of sort of having to maintain myself in public when, when people are, are clamoring for, uh, for attention and, um, you know, and, and looking out for any time that you are just in a shit mood or, or hung over or, um, <laughs> you know, having a bad day and mm. say or do something that is not uh, perfectly sort of PR uh, ready. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound sarcastic, but I do <laughs> want to um, want to just uh, shine a light on um, what is actually one of my favorite film characters and film performances of all time is Billy Burke as Charlie Swan. Yeah, um, and so like, <laughs> did you realize at the time when you're that you're crafting one of the all time great performances? um uh it's all it's all down to billy uh charlie swan uh great dad terrible cop he he never (laughs) never gets to the bottom of these murders from the first book does he and and everyone just moves on story yeah Yeah, and it's interesting that he keeps his job under the circumstances uh i think uh no, I think Billy is great. He's a really lovely guy, uh, uh, um, bemused much as uh, as um, Charlie Swan himself is by what's going on uh, around him. Um, so, but no, I didn't have like deep note sessions with. <laughs> Wait, with so Billy. are you saying that Billy Burke in real life is as amazing as Charlie Swan? <laughs> well, nobody's as amazing as Charlie Swan. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> the cult pops are exclusive. Yeah, I've been saying, like, when we when we covered Twilight, I gave this massive, like, diatribe about how he's actually one of the greatest film characters of all time. <laughs> and well, how, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah not, not enough attention is paid to, to sort of roles that are in, like, genre pieces or that uh, are the... Um, uh, that, that are not the the sort of leads in, in these movies um, and you see when you see like professional actors and very good actors kind of uh, dutifully uh, uh, do, doing these these parts like occasionally there are these sort of gems yeah well I mean that's the hmm. Chris White's uh, touch isn't it you know putting emphasis yeah. on those secondary characters <laughs> and you created the greatest secondary character of all time in Charlie Swan so there you go no no I can't take any credit for that <laughs> but I mean some of his best work is in New Moon when she's up late crying in bed and he wants to help but he doesn't know how and it's just it's oh, such, such a tragic a performance oh thanks man well, I mean I'll, I'll, I'll tell him next time I see him yeah not oh yet. my god can you actually tell him <laughs> I will. Can you tell if there's a New Zealand podcast that rates his performance up there with like Marlon Brando and Godfather? And- <laughs> Honestly, I will, yeah, I will, I will tell him. I'll try to render it in a way that doesn't sound uh, sarcastic. Yeah. He's always got, you know, there's a, always a spot here for him if he wants to join us as well. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just three hours of questions about Twilight. Um, <laughs> We um we once interviewed the guy who directed The Sandlot, um, yeah. and we we asked him about Beethoven's third and fourth for the whole interview <laughs> because Whoa. he also directed those films. So one of the things we pride ourselves here on Cold Popshire is focusing on the niche projects um, that right. the directors don't necessarily have anything to say about, <laughs> but you get some Com- exclusive interviews out right. of it. Right, so. really putting yeah. people back on their abilities to vamp on something that they would rather not remember. Yeah, be like, you've tried to hide this for your entire career, but... Um. <laughs> I don't feel that way about you, Moon, actually. I feel deeply beholden to it. Um, That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One of your, um, so to dig up things from your past, um, one of your <laughs> earliest credits, and you shouldn't be ashamed of it, as, um, as Ants, you, yeah. you do the screenplay for that. So that, that was like, yeah, very early on in your career. But there's, um, I'm sure you're aware of this, the phenomenon called like twin films, yes. where there's two films come out with a similar setting or characters or whatever. And Ants in a Bug's Life, uh, Pixar's A Bug's Life is one of the classic examples of that. So was there a time during Ants' production that you remember learning of A Bug's Life and how did that affect it at all? Yeah, it was kind of a, a rumor that went the rounds. Uh, not, I mean, more than a rumor, actually. I think people were aware that there's going to be a film called A Bug's Life. Um, and uh, it seemed like a strange phenomenon. Uh, uh, what I do remember with regards mm. to that was that we had a fake schedule. Um, but I, but nobody told me it was fake until we were actually, um, sort of almost ready. Uh, so, uh, so the, the, in theory, we were supposed to come out after, uh, Bugs Life, but, uh, but we sort of stole a march on them and came out first, which is kind of a relief because Bugs Life kind of destroyed us at the box office eventually <laughs> to sort of stack them up one against the other. Um, and of course, I, I wasn't overly concerned because I was just very, very happy to uh, have have that job. It's kind of the thing that really made the difference for me and and my brother. It was the credit that um, 
that got us uh, the chance to uh, direct American Pie because people really dug that screenplay. Um, mm. And, um, you know, again, working with now, um, uh, now maligned uh, people, you know, it was kind of a feather in our cap to work with Woody Allen. Uh, <laughs> you see, our, ti- our timing is fantastic so far. Um, uh, so, so that was hugely important to us. I think I would have been a lot more nervous uh, if I had realized that that um, uh, that uh, the, there was the possibility that we would have been blown out of the water by uh, by Bugs Life. Would we would come out at the same time? Uh, but the thing is, the um, you say that um, that it destroyed you in the box office and stuff. But um, Bugs Life also stars Kevin Spacey, who's <laughs> probably worse yeah. than Woody Allen in a lot of well, ways. There you go. So. <laughs> Oh my god! It's, so big you for that yeah, punch. It's it's kind of um, yeah. It's it's uh, <laughs> edgy, edgy possible abuser against edgy possible abuser. Well, it's almost certain abuser. Yeah, um, and it was also a bug's life was directed by John Lasseter, who's <laughs> oh my god, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think rather than seeing it as a series of bizarre coincidences, it may just be that men in Hollywood have been behaving incredibly badly for decades, mm. um, and uh, that it's it's all coming out um to 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 be hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Serious for a moment. I actually think it's really good that these things are, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. are, are, are coming to light because hopefully it will. I, I don't, I, I think it's, it's like really like turning around a battleship to change male uh, uh, behavior, but at least to kind of put a damper on various shitty ways in which people have been behaving uh, is a good thing. Yeah, and you look at all the new kind of um, protocols that have been put in place to make people feel safer on set and stuff like that. It's generally like, yeah, it's it's a good thing. It is a good thing. We we wholeheartedly agree. Um, Hey, Chris, this is a bit of a um, starstruck moment for me because you co-directed About a Boy, and About a Boy is one of my favorite movies of all time oh thank you i absolutely love about a boy and, and in that sense it's an honor to meet you Thanks, um, and and talk to you about it because that movie is so instrumental in my own personal like about a boy is the type of movie i'd want to make is what i tell people yeah they, oh, cool they ask, about a boy was aj's sexual awakening <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah after um after american pie and twilight um uh so one of the things that I, I really love about a boy, and I made a video on this a couple years ago, and I'm actually aiming to make another one and hopefully use a soundbite from this podcast. Um, uh, the Have you ever read a book called Invisible Ink by Brian McDonald? It's a screenwriting guide. I have not. So one of the things that I absolutely love that he talks about in that is he, he addresses the idea of masculine and feminine storytelling. So if you don't want to gender it, it's external and internal storytelling. Mm-hmm. And um, for listeners who haven't seen About a Boy, 
the ending of that film is the perfect example of masculine and feminine storytelling coming together. So just to reiterate for for the listeners, um, it ends with like Will, who's played by Hugh Grant, and he's like a a cool dude, um, sacrificing his reputation to play on to play guitar on stage with this embarrassing little kid to like protect him basically right so you've got a guy who realizes that he can be important to other people and it's this it's the like the culmination of his emotional arc um and he does it in a way that is external so he's playing guitar on stage and it's very fun and silly to watch i'm so i'm sorry for gushing i just i get so cathartic over that so i love it (laughs) yeah that scene um isn't in the novel i don't think that the book is based that the movie's based off so is there any is there any insight you can give us into that how that scene came about in the writing stage yeah uh absolutely well first of all thank you that's uh, really a shot in the arm um uh (laughs) yeah so the book was was set around the time of um of kurt cobain's death so it was already uh would if we had made that first of all we wouldn't have gotten the rights to any of the music but second of all it would have been sort of a a period film set five years earlier so Mm. paul and i Mm -hmm. really didn't want to do that we wanted to contemporize it um and and it also had a I believe the certainly the script uh, before we came to it had a um, a big sort of set piece in Piccadilly Circus, and mm-hmm. the as I recall the the sort of thing that was supposed to be the saving grace for Will's character was a reminder of all of the little things that that happen that make his yeah, life yeah. worthwhile. But we weren't 100% convinced by that. We wanted something that was kind of like a Hollywood third act, where you know the good guy goes to the bad guy headquarters and kills everyone and blows yeah. things up. But how to do that, given that we had um, set up this sort of very uh, internal, um, idiosyncratic, um, two-person, really, uh, uh, story. Um, mm-hmm. And so, in a way, we, we saw it as kind of a romantic comedy. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. And although it sounds uh, uh, grotesque and inappropriate between... Uh, Hugh Grant's character and, and, and the boy, Nick, Nicole's character. But so yeah, yeah. so really wh- what we then sort of found ourselves looking at was something more like the equivalent of the guy running after the train or, you know, mm. trying to stop the girl and propose to her before she goes away, you know, or stop the wedding, whatever it may be. Um, and so we were circling around then what it was uh, that would um, kind of bring uh, catharsis, uh, to, to Hugh Grant's character. And he was a character who was always, uh, alone and always cool. And so we wanted to subject him to, you know, the torment mm. of being uncool in front of a bunch of people. Uh, and, um, equally it seemed appropriate for, for, uh, the, the character of Marcus who was bullied to, uh, to uh, to be in peril in that kind of way right so yeah yeah uh hugh grant is kind of also saving the the maiden <laughs> uh, as it were yeah. um and uh, some it all sort of combined uh into the, the idea of uh something which was going to be you know the ultimate peril for both of them uh but of course it was mm. social peril and really in a way yeah, it, yeah. it means nothing you know uh to to humiliate yourself in front of a crowd it doesn't amount to much but for mm-hmm. these characters it's a really big deal so that's how we ended up at this um this kind of third act moment um somehow it all it all worked and i think that there there was some doubt as to whether it whether it would frankly mm-hmm. um so it was uh 
you know, it was like our, the biggest sequence we'd ever shot. Now I have the shot map, which is kind of a diagram of where all the cameras would go for each setup. Oh. Uh, and it's something like 90 shots. If you look at the, wow. the whole sequence uh, around that. So this is the closest we've ever gotten to shooting like a big stunt scene or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and um and it all it all worked uh we weren't necessarily expecting it to but it was kind of one of those times which i have to remind myself of now where you come up with an idea and uh you go like it's going to work it's going to be great and you kind of brass it out and and it actually kind of pays off yeah man like i'm sorry it's actually perfect it's a <laughs> it's a perfect moment of film it's a perfect well, ending that's it's very a perfect kind. culmination of character arc that's very kind and you know uh, but uh, if that's so, then it's a bit sad because then like once you've had a perfect moment, where do you go? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, we were talking before about, um, cause where was about a boy in, in the, in your career? Like that's, it's uh, at least it wasn't like your first, your first project had something like that in it, you know? Cause that's how I think of things. I'm like, <laughs> right. if I'm doing a series of something, I'm like the first one can't be the best one. It has to be at right. least the second one's the best one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. It was, it was the third movie. Um, but it's funny. I was reading this article, um, which was, uh, I was one of these kind of articles you read on the web because it speaks to you in some way. And it was like, uh, the article was pointing out, uh, you know, people have uh, these hot streaks and hot streaks usually last three or four years creatively. And the article was designed to um, encourage people who hadn't had their hot streak yet. Um, but it, but I realized that what that implied was that my hot streak was gone. <laughs> I'm just kind of paddling along in my lukewarm uh, streak uh, at mm. the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, you, know, you can't sell yourself short. I mean, just a few years ago, you um, worked on this gigantic property of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah no, we're totally. talking all about how like about a boy was the the most like intense thing you worked on, and you you wrote, you wrote a fucking Star Wars movie, oh, and man. like people people will be clicking on this podcast, listen, wanting to listen to an interview with the the one of the guys who wrote Rogue One, <laughs> I know, and we've like, talked the for forty Star minutes Wars? about American Pie and about a boy. <laughs> yeah, like. Because so, how did you first of all? How did you get the job of writing the first <laughs> Star Wars story? Uh, kind of begging, um, you know, I, I, well, I remember, um, when, uh, when it was, uh, sort of bandied about that they were going to make more Star Wars movies, I would say to all and sundry, you know, agent lawyers, uh, people at Disney, listen, uh, I, I'm all about Star Wars. Like I, this would be my mm -hmm. dream job, which was true because I, um, I watched Star Wars in, in the theater when I was seven years old, and I watched it 19 times in original release. Cool, cool. I was bananas about it. It sort of defined my life. And so <laughs> if, if you could have asked me one thing I would want to work on in my career, it would be Star Wars. And the the opportunity came. And, and when, it, when it happens to you, you sort of get this <laughs> call, and they say they want to talk to you about Star Wars. Um, they're not going to tell you what it is until you get in the room. Uh, and of course, you're non-disclosured up the wazoo. Uh, you, you have to sign forms and, you know, give away your firstborn. Uh, and so I didn't know until I was in the room what what the which one it was going to be. So and I, um, I, this is a hot take, but I, I really don't like uh, Boba Fett. And I was worried it was going to be Boba Fett because I was going to be like, this is this is my life. Right. I was like feeling like really I was feeling preemptively bitter. Like I get to work on Star Wars, but it's fucking Boba Fett. This guy is <laughs> killed by accident. That's how badass he is. And, and um, yeah. 
Uh, and when I, when I found out it was uh, the, the opening crawl, I was so happy because it was being able to work on the franchise I loved the most and, and the part of it that I loved the most. Um, mm. So That's it was awesome, dude. so sweet. Yeah, so like, when, when was this that these discussions were taking place? Uh, let me see. Tw- twenty. I guess it was 2015, 2016. When did Rogue right. One come out? 2016, 2016 yeah okay so yeah. it was it would have been 2015 because it was a good year and a half before um before things got going and i should right. say that i am one of a series of writers who who worked on that so yeah um, of course yeah i was uh the second guy in after after gary witta uh who's fantastic and uh and others followed um mm. so it's you know you can't mm-hmm. You don't really own this stuff, and I think that a lot of the things that make it different uh, writing Star Wars, di- different to write Star Wars from writing other stuff, is that you, it's kind of like a public trust if you look at it yeah. uh, in terms of uh, the, the number of people who who care about it. Yeah, because mm. there must have been like immense pressure that not only is it the the biggest property of all time, but it's also like it kind of it was the first experiment of of would if this would work doing these spin-offs eh? yeah it was it, there, there was a lot of pressure i mean i think really the most pressure was on gareth um edwards uh and yeah. i think he bore up incredibly well under it um but certainly i yeah i you do feel a lot of pressure but then again i also kind of felt that i was su- supremely qualified because i had <laughs> thought about episode four uh, as much as any person I can imagine. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, cause you, so you were able, like, because you have written by credit, but then you submit Gary Witter and uh, someone else's name escapes Tony, me. Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy. Um, yeah, they, they have, like, uh, the story by credit. So for, for those that sort of aren't aware, how does that those different credits kind of work and where do you come in and what kind of influence do you have on the script? Well, I think I think Gary Gary gets story credit, and um, Tony Gilroy and I um, share share written by credit or, or screenplay yeah. credit. Yeah, it's on, very, on it's, the Wikipedia page, it's it's screenplay by you and Tony and John Knoll and Gary Witter is credited with. Oh story. yes, of course, John Knoll as well. Yeah, because John Knoll was the guy who first came up with the notion of doing it. Who's who's the uh, head of ILM? Um, nice. Uh, well, it's really arcane. You know, eventually the the credits are determined by. If there's any dispute over it, and there, there usually is, and uh, in, in something this big, because all kinds of people are contributing to it, yeah, uh, it is um, a, a bunch of writers from the Writers Guild uh, uh, look over every single draft in theory uh, and uh, try to work out uh, kind of where the bodies are buried. Um, <laughs> so the the best answer to, to to how that all happens would be to look at the Writers Guild credits manual, which is um, <laughs> pretty pretty dull reading unless um, <laughs> unless you're uh, trying to to get credit in an arbitration. Um, it's it's mm. it's definitely not as clear cut as uh, story by and screenplay by uh, implies because yeah, right. that sounds like Gary came in and just said, "Well, the story should be this," and then left. Um, you know, <laughs> there, there there are bits of screenplay by him in the movie, many of them. Mm. Uh, there are bits of story that, that I did. There are many bits of story and screenplay by, by other writers as well. And yeah. I'm, I'm just super lucky that the, the kind of the, the, the die fell the way it did. Yeah. Cause I was, I was about to ask, um, like, were there, are there any sort of story moments that you can point to as being like, this was my bit. 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, the, the, the most obvious one is everybody dying, um, <laughs> which, uh, like, uh, the, the, the version prior to that, um, didn't have everyone die. As a matter of fact, it ended with, with a, a wedding. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it was on the presumption that Disney wouldn't allow, uh, characters to die with such, um, uh, abandon. Um, and I felt, uh, that it was necessary, first of all, because nobody ever mentions them again or sees them again yeah, later exactly. in, the, in the series, as it were, chronologically, but also because we'd done this whole sort of theme about sacrifice, um, that, uh, that it was appropriate that, that all of our main characters died. Um, and, um, uh, you know, the, the, the bringing it to the very, very moment before uh, episode four starts. Uh, that that was, uh, I think, the, uh, my, my notion from, from the get go. And there are bits here and there. There are also bits that I've am very sad we're, we're not in it. For instance, the there's it, he was reduced to kind of a weird little monster of the week uh, <laughs> character. But there is this this uh, creature, Boar Gullet, who was um, uh, saw Guerrera's uh, kind of version of a lie detector machine this kind of octopoid mm -hmm. creature that uh, <laughs> yeah, breathes yeah, brains, yeah, yeah. but he was a much bigger speaking role uh, originally. Um, and I was super into it uh, <laughs> as, as a kind of, you know, to have been able to create one of the great star Wars monsters was, was something I was really uh, into doing, but, uh, yeah, but yeah. he got cut poor, poor gullet, his career cut short. <laughs> so speaking of things that got cut, and also, you mentioned uh, non-disclosure agreements before. Mm. And when we sent you this question, um, I was like, this will be the one he says he can't answer. But mm -hmm. you didn't say not to take it <laughs> off, so here it is. Um, Rogue One, if, if you're a film buff, and all three of us are, but um, so if you're, if you're a film mm -hmm. buff, you know that Rogue One became notorious for having widely publicized reshoots. Right. People talk about how the, the vision of the original cut um, was changed. Um things like that you you watch the first trailer for the film there's a handful of sequences that nothing even close to that ended up being in the film yeah as one of the writers can you offer insight into anything else that was going to be different and how do you feel about the the final cut uh i'll, I'll answer it in reverse first of all i feel great about the final cut okay cool. um I, I really liked the, the the movie and that was a huge relief because you know, once you stop writing on one of these, you know, the security wall goes up and I had no idea uh, what it was really going to look like until I sat down at the premiere. So weirdly, it was like watching a movie that I had written or written on and, and watching a new mm -hmm. movie at the same time, because I knew there was mm -hmm. going to be all this kind of new footage. Uh, and it is one of the great um, joys of screenwriters to be able to bitch and moan about what's been done to their work. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have that satisfaction because I really, really liked it. That's really it. cool. Uh, I remember sitting next to Gary Witta, um, first writer on it, and we were just kind of high-fiving at various moments when cool things happened, uh, especially <laughs> when there were surprises. So I have no complaints about that. Um, I think the other part of the question was like, what, can I give any insight into what was changed? Um, yeah. a lot of the stuff that's on the net, uh, about the net, 
Do only 80-year-old people say that? That's fine. We say the 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 net. (laughs) The The information superhighway. Uh, uh, A lot of stuff that's on the web is actually correct um, in terms of um, things that were changed, things that were added. Um, I can... Let me see. Uh, The... If you imagine uh, the the beginning of the second act and the end of the second act kind of swapping places, that would not be an inaccurate way to portray how structurally it was changed. Hmm. Um, The uh, Darth Vader kicking ass, I cannot take credit for. That was a later invention. Uh, (laughs) And so so that was uh, quite different. I think the battle stayed much the same. The... You know, so, sometimes when I uh, uh, see things that, that were changed, it, it seems as though they they were, were changed in ways I can't quite put my finger on in terms of, of why. Yeah. So a lot of the deaths were, were put into different locations than they originally were in the script, originally were shot. I, I'm not sure exactly why. For instance, K2 died in a different place um, in, the, uh, in the previous version. Um, let me see. Well, you know it all kind of turns into a bit of a mush because I remember at some point cutting a planet. Um, but that was still during my period. It was like, you know, guys, we, we've got to cut, you know, uh, 20 million. So, uh, one of these planets has got to go. There you go. Oh shit. (laughs) That's going to be hard. Um, uh, but, um, uh, let me see. Oh, I'll tell, I'll tell you something that was quite different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm talking out of school to say this. Uh, in, in the last version that I worked on, it, it, uh, it, it wasn't clear at the beginning of the movie that the Death Star was, was going to be the Death Star. It was just the sense that the Rebellion had that something bad was going down and we needed to find out about it. So there was this kind of developing sense of dread throughout the, the, the film. Um, and in the version on screens, um, you basically have a guy say, there's a planet killer. They're making a thing that's going to blow up planets. It's called, it's called the Death Star or something like that very early on. And mm-hmm. I, I can understand mm-hmm. that definitely somebody uh, at some point said, why are we making like such a big mystery of something that the audience already knows anyway? Uh, and that is certainly an argument. Um, but uh, <laughs> we, but I, I was pushing uh, originally for something that had more of a sense of, of dramatic irony, but that's kind of six of one half a dozen of the other. And like I said, yeah. I think the movie really works. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you said before that, um, that you can't take credit for the Darth Vader thing, but, um, mm. you did say that you, you, your idea was that everyone dies. And in my opinion, everyone dying is what makes the Darth Vader scene work. Um, because, you, you after the prequels, which you know, I won't, I won't make you tell us your opinion on the prequels, but I didn't <laughs> like them. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I didn't like Darth Vader that much after the prequels. And mm. the, the when I heard they were making Rogue One, they you were making <laughs> Rogue One. Um, the I remember someone su- on Reddit or something, someone suggested or said like, "I hope all the characters die," and I heard that <laughs> and I was like, "Fuck yes." Like all the characters should die. So just like yeah. with about a boy, dude, you you landed on the perfect ending for um, <laughs> yeah. the, sexu- the sexual awakening of a generation. Of, yeah, uh, yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> um, well, that's cool. Yeah, I think uh, it, it is an. It, it's clearly a, um, a a narrative possibility once you realize that um, you know you're it's you're either gonna. Uh, 
tell the story of these characters who somehow disappear at the mm. end of it with no accounting or 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 kill them off, which was um, yeah, 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 definitely uh, made the right choice. It's brutal. It's so good. It's so Thank good. You. Yeah, and so oh, you probably can't say everything if you do, but the um, <laughs> do you know the the Diego Luna helmed um, like he's starring in a Rogue One yeah. based kind of TV show? Do you know? Are you involved in that at all? Do you know anything about it? I am not, I, and so I know I know absolutely zero about it, um, <laughs> which saves me from having to say I can't talk about it, which would probably be the other possibility <laughs> yeah. if I did know anything about it. Yeah, yeah. So like, either way, you you don't really have an answer. <laughs> uh, I don't, except that uh, uh, more more Diego Luna is a good thing, so that's cool. Yeah, hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. It'd be cool to see see more of more of those um, those characters, but. Um, so I guess we'll we'll sort of start to wrap up with the, the final like feel good kind of questions. Um, good. But so out of all of your projects, writing, directing, what have you, uh, what would you say is your favorite? Oh, um, uh, let me see. Well, it, it might be American Pie just because we were so new to it. Um, and it was such uh, a case of kind of having fun, uh, uh, improvising every day. Uh, and then seeing something grow incredibly successful in a very unexpected way. Um, mm, cool. So that was the most charmed experience uh, that that uh, my brother and I have had. Um, but also I feel very uh, close to uh, this movie I made called A Better Life, which is um, about a, uh, a Mexican immigrant in Los Angeles and has very few yucks. Um, <laughs> but, but I think, uh, but, you know, Demian Bashir, uh, who was the lead, and that was nominated for an Academy Award, and that remains one of my proudest uh, uh, moments. Um, so I'll give you those two. Nice, yeah. And because cool. you were nominated for an Academy Award for About a Boy, that's correct? Mm. Nice. Yeah, that was, uh, that was very cool. <laughs> yeah um all kinds of you get to do all kinds of fun stuff uh when when you get nominated including going to this cool um uh luncheon where you, it's like the you know high school and then you take sort of a high school picture mm. with all the other people and some of the guys are like sound technicians and other others are brad pitt or whatever <laughs> so it's that's like it's kind of a cool get together yeah. um mm. and i think they can't take it away from you um, which is good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not like hosting the Oscars. They can't just take it away from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Brad Pitt, your um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith co-star. Wow, you're very good. <laughs> yeah. You're very versed. Did the research. Yeah. Um, he, yes, he was cast opposite me in uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> in, the, in the Chris White's vehicle that was Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really quite bizarre, that experience. Um I was I was only cast in that because my girlfriend at the time was was cast in it, and then she dropped out, and nobody had the um, nobody had the heart to tell me that I should leave as well. So I just hung in there. Um, <laughs> then- it's just like you just wouldn't leave set, and they're like, "Oh, I guess we'll just film them." <laughs> uh, no, nobody wants to tell him. Let's just, let's just do it. Oh, he made American awesome. Pie. We'll throw him a bun. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and so, would you have any? Adv- what advice would you have for someone looking to get started and either writing or directing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the best advice is just to do it and not to try to be too strategic about it. I think. Um, mm. uh, and and in, in terms of, of actually making movies, I think that the uh, equipment, the sort of the uh, is more accessible than ever. 
um, the ability to cut your own films. Um, so, so that is, uh, that's kind of amazing in terms of just being able to, to, to make a film and get it out there on the internet for people to see if, if you want. Like a guy that I cast in my last movie in Operation Finale, this guy Greg Hill, was the star in a movie that was only released on YouTube by this guy, uh, Brad Elmore, who, um, who mm-hmm. made a movie uh, in Bend, Oregon, off his own bat, um, because he loves films. And, um, you know, I was able to help get uh, one of Brad's movies to to blumhouse to, to look at and they uh right. helped finance it um and so there are cases where you just going ahead and doing it without asking anybody's permission is is the thing to do actually with the the movie that won the Doville film festival um uh, by a guy called jim jim cummings uh was basically handmade by him and yeah. his uh collaborators um, the one bit of technical advice I'll give on that regard, though, is that while uh, audiences can forgive all kinds of defects in the visuals of, of a movie, the sound quality uh, is something that you can yep. instantly tell is is a sign of um, of something lacking. So that if you were to 100%. worry about anything, I would worry about miking your actors properly. Hmm. Yeah, because did you have any formal tra- training in film? No. Um, as a matter of fact, I've, we kind of learned on the set in um, <laughs> on American Pie, and we were taught by our DP Richie Crudo and JB Rogers, our first AD. They were the they were our uh, film teachers, uh, and we were uh, I, I yeah. like to think pretty humble about what we knew and didn't know. And um, as a result, they and that crew kind of brought us up as um, as filmmakers. Yeah, because I I do always wonder like how a director goes from doing something like american pie or um like about a boy to then you know tackling these things like the golden compass mm. or new moon which are like in like you know covered in cgi yeah and it's like how do you how do you learn to do like to shoot for cgi and stuff like that i think it takes a combination of uh all, doing all the research you can do and trying to um be as open as possible with the professionals who've been doing it over and over again uh, in terms of, of learning uh, as quickly as possible. One of the great things about making a studio film is the extraordinary crews and their sort of breadth of knowledge. So these are uh, guys and gals uh, who um, who have <laughs> been doing this for, for, for decades and who are incredibly accomplished. And so there's an amazing knowledge base in every, um, in every crew. Uh, but... Um, the, some of that knowledge is also out there um, on on the interwebs uh, right now. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. Um, so before we before we ask our final question, just uh, what what projects have you got on the horizon? Um, you know, do you want to plug anything? Do you want to tell us to go see something that you're making or keep a lookout for something? What's going oh, golly. on? Let me see. Um, well, the last movie I made, Operation Finale, is is um, on Netflix now. Do you guys have Netflix in New Zealand? Yep. Yes. We yeah, call it Netflix. Ah, good. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix. Um, and um, I am working on uh, Pinocchio for Disney. Uh, oh, cool. Right now, I'm in London uh, working on that. And Paul King, who directed Paddington and Paddington Two, is directing. Oh, awesome. uh, so so that's that's what I'm that's what I'm up to, really. <laughs> so your second your second live action Disney reimagining after Cinderella. It, it is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
that that was a really good experience for me. Um, and working with Ken Brana was fantastic. So mm-hmm. here we go. Again. Yeah, because it's cr- pretty crazy when you think about that. Like Disney, like you were in, in charge in some way, well, like contributed in some way to two of Disney's massive cash cows that they're now pouring <laughs> a lot of money into their mm. like Star Wars and the live action uh, remakes. Because Cinderella yeah. was one of the first, or that of the new movement of them, anyway. Uh, it, it was, um, you know, something I, I like about Disney, which is perhaps something people don't like about it, is that they have a real sense of themselves as a company and and of their kind of responsibility to children's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really do take seriously, like whether Cinderella is going to feel like a regressive fairy tale or something um, more more positive and more uh, contemporary. Uh, yeah. so that, that kind of matters to me. Mm, awesome. Cool. Um, so long time fans of our podcast who listened to our American pie episode, mm. uh, Richard and I had a, a small argument or debate. No, um, it was pretty heated. It almost ended our friendship. <laughs> Not on, we, we had an argument like um, almost a year earlier that yeah. almost ended up in fisticuffs. Yeah. Jeez. So, um, that's, it's about American pie. And there's a there's something in American Pie that um, I interpreted the scene as this way. Richard thought I was an idiot for interpreting that way. And oh, I, I, I know you're going to talk about. Yeah. It. Okay, Gosh, after, I'm going to get after, right in the middle of this. I'm going to get right in the middle of this. Okay. After we released the episode where we talked mm-hmm. about it, uh, mm-hmm. we had people reaching out to us saying that they understood what I meant, and they were like, "Yeah, no, I totally thought that too." So mm-hmm. I'll paint the picture for those who don't know what we're talking about. Uh, in American Pie, uh, when the character of Kevin is performing a sexual act known as the Tongue Tornado on his girlfriend Vicky, uh, her dad approaches her bedroom to tell her that it's time to come down for dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he's approaching the door, he hears Vicky yell, I'm coming, um, mm. after which he shrugs his shoulders and leaves. Okay, is this because... <laughs> Is this because he thinks Vicky is telling him that she's coming down for dinner or does he realize that his daughter is in the middle of an orgasm and decide not to interrupt her? First, can I know who holds which opinion? Um, I, <laughs> I interpreted it as being he realizes she's having an orgasm and is a cool dad. And he's like, I'm not going to interrupt my daughter in the throes of passion. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave them be. See, whereas I didn't want to insult the filmmakers. And I was like, right. no, it's not a joke if it's your interpretation. He's it's a cool just- dad. Right. Well, I think, <laughs> That's a joke. I think clearly New Zealand is a more liberated society than um, <laughs> America in the uh, uh, late 90s. Because I, I have to say that the, the, the joke is that he thinks... She's saying she's coming down. Oh, breaking my heart. Uh, all, the, all the stuff I said about, about a boy has just gone out the window now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. no. Uh, yeah, well, no. I'm really no, sorry I think, to, I, think to I knew anybody. that deep down. Um, right. It was more just being being um, being pushed out by the people who reached out to us. I was like, oh, my God, Like well, maybe this is actually what yeah, it means. Yeah, because so. originally he was like, no, I saw an IMDb a uh, forum post of someone that yeah. agreed with me and it's like well and then when we went to check the the IMDb had conveniently gotten rid of the forum feature <laughs> no, I found it I, I, I was, feel um, like I found the the other question on IMDb was um is 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 Stifler's nickname for Finch is it shit brick or shit break 
shit break. Yeah. Okay. Shit break. So we, that one's a bit a more reasonable, but <laughs> uh, he takes a break to shit. But uh, so in mm, both of course. these cases, if the filmmaker has not um, sort of, uh, it's really the fault of the filmmaker, I think, not to have gotten those <laughs> points across. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I think no, I think in this case, especially with the Vicky scene, it's the fault of the viewer. It was incredibly clear <laughs> what you meant, and and I understood it. Um, you know. <laughs> being a fellow film buff, a fellow director, I knew what you were talking right. about. Right. <laughs> there you go. Somehow Richard comes right. out at the end of that conversation looking like the the, 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 <laughs> the butthole the instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Well, hey, Chris, this has been one of the best episodes of our show. I think I've so enjoyed talking oh, to you. I've, I've so enjoyed getting to getting to know you and your your fascinating career like you've had a fascinating <laughs> career at least for two guys who have never made a film really you know <laughs> this you you are like strolling through the the weirdest corners in the <laughs> in in like making films you know so i love that about you and I, i've really enjoyed thank talking you. to you yeah man uh, thanks uh, so much thank you guys um uh really appreciate it uh and uh hello to your listeners and uh, great mm. to meet you guys yeah great to meet you man I'll, and I'll if listening. you know if you see Billy Burke just tell him we said hi I will tell him <laughs> that uh, someone loves him somewhere ah <laughs> oh, man ah oh, what a good interview <laughs> I found that captivating to, to be a part of and captivating to listen to and thank you so much Chris for coming on the show and just sharing your wisdom with us I've, I feel like I've learned so much mm, I feel like I could direct a twilight now <laughs> um uh so yeah if again if you want to check out uh any of chris's upcoming stuff he's or stuff that's out now uh he's got a film on netflix called operation finale um and he's also keep an eye out for the pinocchio movie mm. that's coming out as well um anyway that's that's us for the show i hope you enjoyed and that's this. us for the year that's us for the well. year oh my gosh true um so if you liked this uh and you liked us then why don't you check us out on youtube and facebook and instagram and gmail cop option media at gmail.com check us out on gmail you know <laughs> yeah. um we're also on soundcloud itunes you know all the places you get your podcasts um and and we'll see you in 2019 with the some top yeah man content it's gonna get even better it's so, our year i can feel it i can feel it this is it all right thank you very much everybody and, good and once again thank you to chris yes we salute you yes. sir. <laughs>